Heavenly Father, we are excited to be here today as your people, hearing your word uh, on a Sunday. Um, Lord, we pray that you would use that. Use these gatherings today and in future weeks to build us up, to draw people in, to bring glory to yourself among the nations. Uh, we, we know that you grieve with us for the situation in Kazakhstan, for the unrest, for the violence, for the division. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace and healing. We pray that people would come to a common understanding. We pray for an end to the violence. We thank you for how you've grown your church in the past decade there. And we pray that your people, for your people, that you would protect them and that you would use them even as peacemakers, uh, showing great understanding, love and care. Lord, as we pray you bring peace in that nation. We pray that people would know uh, relationship with you where perfect peace is found. We pray for the COVID situation and grief, for the numbers we're seeing around the world. Uh, we pray for those who are sick abroad and even our fellow church members, our friends, our families. We pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would keep them safe. We pray you would give them rest and treatment that they need. We also pray for brothers and sisters separated, those who might not feel sick or are isolating as close contacts, uh, as they're feeling the distance of being away from friends, being away from family, even unable to join us today. We pray that you would be their comfort, their strength, and they would know your presence. We pray for brothers and sisters who are stuck, unable to travel because of COVID, and we pray that you would bring them back to us soon. We pray for our brother Joe, ask that you would be giving him, Namratha, but also his family, great hope and trust in you. Uh, we pray that even as Joe spends time with his parents, we pray that his father's hope would remain firm in you. And we pray you would give them peace, joy, rich time together as a family, resting in your promises. And Father, we, we pray for our brother Biju. And Lord, we pray that as he goes into the third cycle of chemotherapy this week, that you would use that, use that to heal this cancer, use that to heal him and give him, Princey and the family, a great trust in you, uh, the God of healing and the God who gives us even greater hope than that. Father, thank you for the, uh, the privilege of meeting as your people. I thank you for the generosity of your people, even that which will be given today, Lord, we thank you that you are at work and we thank you for this time in the book of Zechariah as we turn there now help us to see wonderful things in your word help us to understand what you said then and what you are saying to us now by your word and your spirit it's in Jesus good and great name that we pray amen well a few years ago Olivia and I uh, moved house our family was growing, had, I think three kids under three at home, um, and so we decided it was time to move from our small apartment to a small house. But this small house felt huge uh, because of our growing family and the extra space that it had. Uh, we committed to move, we sold the apartment, bought the house, uh, we began to move our things in full of expectation and hope uh, for our new spacious life. But there was one big problem. The house was cold and damp and dark. 
Our old apartment had been warm and light and sunny, but this new house had three large old trees which all covered it, uh, which meant there was almost no direct sunlight. And the cold, it was, it was cold, it was damp, it was dark, it was depressing. But we had a plan. We went to the council and said, if we remove these three old trees and replace them with three new native trees a bit further away from our house, would you let us do that? It'll bring, it'll bring up local birds, it will maintain the green space. We put the request out and we waited. And as we waited, wondering whether the council was on our side or not, whether we would have that desperately needed light and warmth that we needed or not, we continued to move our things in. And as we unpacked boxes in the shivering cold, we wondered, are they for us or are they against us? As we unpacked boxes in the shivering cold, we wondered, have we made a terrible mistake? And these are the kinds of questions that the people of Zechariah's day would have been asking. They too were moving in. It was a time of expectation and possibility. They were returning to the city of Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed 70 years earlier. It was a time of opportunity and excitement, yet it was also a time of disappointment because Jerusalem was in ruins and they were wondering, have we made a terrible mistake? Uh, to understand this, we want to look back to the whole history uh, the Bible tells us about, and uh, telling us that God made the world good, uh, but that we ruined this world because of our sin. Uh, by our sin, we, we ruined uh, this world. But God has been promising for all of history that he's going to restore the world. I know you can't see all the, the, nation, the details in this timeline, but God has been promising throughout all of history that he is going to restore the world, again, bless the nations. And he's going to do it through a people. 2000 BC, he promised Abraham that I'm going to work through your family to bless all the nations. Uh, then he saved a nation, the Israelites, out of Egypt and said, you will be my special people. I will dwell with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I'm going to work through you to bless and heal the nations. God brought them into a land. He gave them a city, Jerusalem. They built a temple where he dwelt in their midst. He was their God. Yet they continued to disobey him. They continued to act and live like the rest of the nations, doing great evil. And God warned them, if you continue to live like this, then I'll send you away from my land. If you continue to live like this, I will no longer dwell with you. And they ignored his warnings again and again until in 722 BC, the north tribes of Israel were destroyed. And then in 587 BC, what remained of the tribes of Israel, they were, the Babylon defeated Jerusalem and took the survivors to exile in Babylon. Uh, while they were in exile, away from their home, uh, God continued to speak to them, saying, you're here because of your sin, yet there is hope. I will restore you. I will send you back. And when I send you back, things will be better than ever. Uh, I will dwell with you. You will be my people, and I will redeem, save the nations. And then the day finally came. 587 B.C., 
Uh, the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and then they said, you, you from people of Judah, you Israelites, you can go home. And they finally could go home. It was time to move into their new place. Uh, they left Babylon, came back, and started rebuilding Jerusalem. A time of possibility and opportunity, yet it turned out to be a day of disappointment as well. While they were home in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was in ruins. Uh, while they were rebuilding the temple, it was tiny compared to Solomon's temple. We're told uh, in the book of Ezra that those who are old enough to remember Solomon's temple from before the exile, when they saw the foundations of the new temple, they broke down and wept. So we, we thought we were rebuilding the temple, but this is tiny compared to the old one. And this is tiny compared to what God has promised. The book of Haggai uh, speaks in a similar way. You can get really good context for Zechariah. So you can go away and read both Haggai and Ezra to kind of understand what's happening in these days. Uh, but the book of Haggai tells us that um, he spoke to his people saying, those who saw its house in its former glory, how do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? This was the time of disappointment. The book of Zechariah in chapter 4 verse 10 calls it a day of small things. God's people were back. Uh, they were living for him again. They were pouring themselves into his purposes, building his temple. God had promised big things, yet they were living in a day of small things. Their experience didn't measure up to what they hoped for or even what God had promised. But Zechariah, the whole book, spoke to them and told them one really clear message. The book of Zechariah says, In the day of small things, giving yourself to God's will and God's purposes is not a small thing. For he's building his kingdom, and it is a big thing. This is the message to them, but it's a message that we need today as well. Because we live in many ways in a day of small things. We see it at the beginning of 2022. This was meant to be the year when we got on with our lives, when things kind of got back to normal. But we've arrived and, oh, we've, look, we're, we're back in isolation and rising case numbers. It's not quite what we hoped for. Uh, for months, for over a year, we were waiting to meet again as a church. And we finally have been able to meet again as a church in person. But now we're changing days and some people can't make it. And we're meeting and some people are isolating at home. We can all meet here, but still for some people it's easier to, to watch on Zoom. In some ways it's a day of small things. Church hasn't quite returned to what we may have experienced in the past or what we hoped for. Even aside from COVID, the Christian life can be a day of small things. We know that Jesus defeated sin and death at the cross, yet we still grapple with sin and death uh, every day. Uh, even as we give ourselves to God's purposes, so many of us, we're trying to make Jesus known. Uh, we're trying to serve uh, we're trying to show people the great love that God has for them in Jesus. Yet while we know Jesus is Lord, so few people acknowledge that. 
So few people seem to believe or accept. We're waiting for the fullness of God's promises, yet today we live in a day of small things. But the book of Zechariah, as it spoke to the people of that day, it's going to speak to us in our day. And it will tell us in a day of small things, giving yourself to God's will and God's purposes is not a small thing. For he's building his church and it is a big thing. He'll tell us that in different ways over these coming weeks, but today particularly he'll tell us return to God because he is ready to restore. And we see it from, from the beginning, from the first verses of Zechariah, as he says, return to God and he will return to you. Verse 1, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ida. So that puts us in about November in 520 BC. So God's people have returned from Babylon to Jerusalem a few years earlier. Haggai tells us that a couple of months earlier, they kind of restarted building the temple. It's November 520 BC. But even this introduction reminds us that it's a day of small things. Because Darius is not an Israelite king, he's a, the Persian king. Even the date is a reminder that while God, their God is the king of all the earth, that they're being ruled by a foreign power, by the Persians. Uh, this was a day of small things. And God speaks to them and reminds them of what has happened. Verse 2, the Lord was very angry with your fathers as they stood amongst the rubble of, Israel, of Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. God reminded them, the Lord was angry with your fathers. Remember what happened with the exile. So he says, don't make the same mistake. Return to me, said the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. He says, they, they ignored my warnings. Uh, their hearts were far from me. And look what happened. So as God's people are there working, they're rebuilding. They're tempted to be discouraged or to give up. God says, return to me and I'll return to you. But what does it mean for them to return to him? It could be that like their fathers, that um, they need to return from their evil ways and evil deeds. Maybe some had returned to Jerusalem and were just living in sin. Uh, various kinds of, of sin and God was saying, come back, repent. Where for some of them it might have been different. Some of them needed to physically return to Jerusalem. You see, after almost 70 years in Babylon, some people had got very comfortable. And when God said, it's time to return to Jerusalem, many had, but others had stayed in Babylon. They'd built good lives for themselves there. And you'll see in chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, that God will call his people, saying, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, that's Babylon, for I've spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. But up, escape to Zion, Jerusalem, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Some people just needed to physically say, Okay, life is not in Babylon anymore. God wants us to return to Jerusalem to be a part of his purposes. Uh, others had returned to Jerusalem, yet they were giving their efforts not to rebuilding the temple, but to their own houses. 
The book of Haggai tells us all about that. People were back, they were rebuilding, but it was all about building their best life now, back in Jerusalem, their own houses. And God says, no, the centre of his work in the world was to be his temple, where he would dwell with his people, from which he would bless the nations. For some, they needed to return in their commitment to building the temple. And for even others, I think they were working hard, rebuilding the temple, even in discouraging days. Yet the message for them was actually returning your hearts to the Lord. Maybe you're growing bitter and discouraged for what the Lord has, for what the Lord has let happen over these last 70 years. Maybe you're bitter and discouraged in this day of small things, feeling like God is a failure. God's not at keeping his promises. Each of them, no matter where they were at, they were called to return to the Lord. And the great thing, the good news at the beginning of this book is that they did. We're told in verse 6 that they repented and said, At the Lord of hosts purpose to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. That particularly seems like a repentance of heart in that they were despising, despondent of what God had done, yet there was an acknowledgement that actually, no, all of this, all of this that has happened in a judgment, destruction, we deserved it. God has been good. Returned in their hearts to the Lord. But if they returned, God had made a promise, return to me and I will return to you. And the rest of today's passage and the whole book of Zechariah will tell us just how God will return to his people. There's a wonderful gospel truth even there that while this book spends about six verses telling us of our need to return to him, and he'll give us some other ideas along the way, most of this book is about how God returns to us. Because while we do need to return to God, our life is one of repentance. The Christian life is about what God has done more than anything we can do. And Zechariah will show us all the ways that God has returned and is returning are the way that he is restoring. Uh, We'll see that this was a day of small things. Uh, But as God's people return to him, God will show he's ready to restore. God is ready to restore. God remains king of heaven and earth. God's plans are on track. God remains your God. You remain his people. And he's going to assure them that he's ready to restore in three different ways. We'll see that in the three different visions in these first two chapters. The first promise is that God will return in mercy. We heard that from verse 7 to verse 17 in the vision of the horses. Now this vision, like all the visions in Zechariah, can be confusing. This strange world of coloured horses uh, and myrtle trees... It can be confusing. What do we make of this? But the good news is that Zechariah seems just as confused as we are. And that's actually the the key in understanding the visions. In most of these visions, Zechariah, or an angel, will ask what the vision means. So look out for that in every, every vision. Look, if someone asks what something means, that's probably what we need to know about. In his vision of the horses... I don't think we need to figure out what each of those colours mean for the coloured horses. I don't even know what sorrel is. I assume it's a colour, but 
like what <laughs> we don't need to know all those colors the myrtle trees may not have a deep meaning they must might just be where the, the horses were standing but what Zechariah asks about is what are these horses and then actually an angel explains what these horses are and tells us the meaning of the vision it says in verse 9 I'll show you what these are he said uh, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So these horses have gone out. God, God sees what's happening. Even as people are discouraged, they're feeling like, does God care? God in this vision is saying, no, I do care. I see what's happening in the world. I've sent out messages to report back. And they bring back a report, and the report is that we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. And you might think, the earth being at rest is a good thing. And it's a good thing, well actually, if things are okay. But the truth is, things aren't okay. If your child is in danger, is it a good thing for you as a parent to be at rest? I don't think so. If you're a, a nation that's experienced a, a, a natural disaster and you're asking for help from the surrounding nations and you get a report back saying, uh, saying oh, all the surrounding nations are at rest, that's not a good thing. And here, God's city is in ruins. Here, God's temple is in ruins. And so how can the surrounding nations be at rest? God's promise that he's going to restore the world, heal the world, fix the problem of sin. He's promised through Isaiah that he's going to destroy death. Yet he's going to do it through his people, through his presence among his people. So it's not right that the, the nations are at rest when things aren't okay. We might feel like this sometimes. When God is building his church, the gospel of Jesus is the hope for the nations, yet... The nation seemed excited by, by Apple and Tesla and Bitcoin and seemed to have little regard for what God is doing. Yet God promises, I do see. I see the nations who are at rest and he assures his... And, and even as people ask in verse 12, how long will you show, have no mercy on Jerusalem against which you've been angry? Well, the Lord gives a decisive answer. Like when Olivia and I got the letter back from the council saying, it's okay, we approve of your plan. Destroy those trees and rebuild three new ones. And finally, we had light and warmth in our house. And finally, we could get on with the life we'd hoped for. Here, God gives a decisive word back as his people return to him, as his people build in a discouraging day of small things. Here God answers decisively. Verse 13, the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease or at rest. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. 
Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Do you hear God's words of comfort and assurance? Well, all they can see is the rubble around them, the disappointing plans of this this temple that they're working on that's just not going to measure up. God says, I've already returned to you in mercy. I am with you. And he promises that actually I've again chosen Jerusalem. He says, one day the measuring line will be stretched out over it. And you won't be able to measure how great or how glorious this city is. God promises that he will return in mercy. But the second way that God is ready to restore that God says he will return in judgment. That's in verses 18 to 21, and the horns and the craftsmen. Verse 18, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Throughout the Old Testament, the picture of horns often represented power. In Daniel chapter 7, Horns represented the nation that had mistreated God's people. We're here, we're told that when we see these terrifying horns, we see something else. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast them down, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. There are horns, they're terrifying, but God said there are also craftsmen who are going to come and judge the horns. Now, we can think about all the details of this, but at its heart, this is a simple message. God's people have been mistreated and scattered by nations, but God says, don't worry, I'll make sure there is justice. I will judge them. Uh, He says a similar thing in chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. So behold, I'll shake my hand over them. They'll become plunder for those who who serve them. And we might ask, why doesn't God just say it? Why does he give us a confusing vision of horns and craftsmen instead of just saying, God will judge those who scattered you? Well, it's because sometimes it, it actually takes imagination Kind of, when you're sitting amongst the ruins of Jerusalem, it can be hard to believe God's promises. It can be hard to believe. And so God pulls us out of our circumstances and he gives us these visions so we might imagine the relief. It's like when you're in a good movie and you get lost in it. You see these terrifying horns that seem to have all the power, all the authority. And then, like in a Jurassic Park, you hear the kind of the, the, the slow, kind of steady steps of something coming behind. And you see the strong hand, sort of faceless hand, sort of picking up a tool and then smashing the horns. Sometimes we need our imagination to be caught up in God's promises. To say, yes, the nations that oppose God's people, they are scary, they are terrifying. Yet judgment is coming. And he uses these visions to 
to draw us in, to capture our imagination and to help us believe and see when all we can see in front of us is the rubble of Jerusalem and the day of small things. God says he'll return in judgment. And finally, God says he will return and restore. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Verse 1, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. So again, they were told what to look out for here. It's where you were going. What are you measuring? And he's measuring Jerusalem. And this would have reminded the hearers of the promises through the prophet Ezekiel. When they were there in exile in Babylon as prisoners, God had sent a message through Ezekiel saying that I have left the temple. I have left. I've, I've, I've left you. I'm no longer in Jerusalem. But one day I'll return. And the book of Ezekiel finishes with the promise of a glorious new Jerusalem and all these measurements saying that this part is going to be this many cubits long and this part is going to be this big, giving all these measurements. So when they heard about measuring Jerusalem, they'd be instantly thinking, oh yeah, God did promise that one day we'd be measuring a huge Jerusalem. And the final words of the book of Ezekiel were, the name of the city shall be, the Lord is there. And that's exactly what God is promising. Uh, God says, run, say to that young man in verse 4, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I'll be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. From verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I'll dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. See, God's people among the rubble of Jerusalem, working on a small project, might feel like God's promises have failed. They might feel like God has given up on them. They might feel like God has lost power, yet God assures them that I am your God. I am with you. He promises them one day you won't be able to measure Jerusalem. He says... You won't be able to put walls around Jerusalem because there will be so many people, so much livestock, so much blessing. You won't be able to fit walls. But also you won't need walls because when God dwells in your midst and God is your God, He is a wall of fire around you. He will protect you. There is no need for walls. This assures God's people that God is with you. God is ready to restore. It's not vain uh, to labour, to live for God in the day of small things. God decisively says that I will re-establish my kingdom. I will build my city. I will dwell with you, my people. Yet even here, there's a hint that he's talking about more than a physical city and about more than building a physical temple. In verse 11, he says, Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. 
So even as he talks about building and temples, he's talking about a day when the nations will come and actually a people will be built. And we know that 500 years later, well, God did come to his people, but in an extraordinary way. He didn't come to dwell in a house or a temple. 500 years later, God came in the flesh. God himself became a man, Jesus Christ. And he lived in this world. He came to his people. Uh, As he died and rose again, he called all nations to himself so that all nations could come and be his people. He established his people as a city without walls. Jesus said to his people, all who would trust him, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The ultimate city is not Jerusalem or any other city. It's his people, a city without walls. God established his people through Jesus, who is God with us, God dwelling in our midst. God has returned to his broken world. He came to us in Jesus. And now he calls us to, to him. For us today, there are, there are three big things I think this passage calls us to. For us today, it calls us, if we haven't yet, to repent. If you don't yet trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, if you don't yet call upon him as Lord, then this passage today is calling you to repent. When Jesus had died and risen again, On the day of Pentecost, people asked the Apostle Peter, what shall we do? If Jesus died and now Jesus rose and Jesus is Lord of all, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's exactly what Zechariah promised. Return to me, I will return to you. If you will come back to your maker, if you will repent of your sin, call him to forgive your sin through Jesus, then you will know forgiveness of sins and he promises that he will dwell in you by his Holy Spirit. If you have not come to trust Jesus, repent and God will come to live in you by his Spirit. Repent. But for those of us who have repented, those of us who do trust Jesus, Well, we're called to return and return in in different ways. For some of us, there might be hidden sin. We are doing wicked deeds, evil deeds. Might be hidden somewhere in our lives where no one else knows. Well, if that's the case, the call today is to return. Return to your God. Tell a friend. Tell your community group leader. Speak to to an elder. Return, repent of that sin and come back. And you'll not find, you'll not find shame, you'll find forgiveness, you'll find a God who is waiting with open arms to restore you. To say he's already with you and he will restore and build you up. You repent of your sin. But for some of us, it's more of a physical returning. Like some of God's people needed to actually stop building up their lives in Babylon and get back to Jerusalem. For some of us, we need to give ourselves to God and his purposes. 
We're living as his people, but really most of our time is spent building our careers or building our building up our lifestyle. Even now, we're kind of rebuilding our lives with the new work week. So actually, as we put those different things into our weeks, are we going to be physically, are we going to turn up to be with God's people every week? Are we going to make time in our week to actually be with God's people, sitting under the word where we can pray for each other? Is it you need to join a community group or a group of people to study God's word and pray for each other during the week? Is it that you need to give yourself to, to serving God's people, to get your name physically on a roster uh, this year, to think, actually, how can I serve God's people? God's promised us that every one of his people has a gift. Every one of his people is needed to build up the body. So will you seek out your place in that? Because as you know Jesus and the joy of forgiveness and being his people, Will you throw yourself into his purposes? Because he's building his church. And it's a big thing. I know some of you, you're working really hard. You are working hard. You're seeking to to build into God's church. There may be ways we need to return in our attitude. We may be growing despondent because no one else is helping. We, We may be growing despondent because we're not seeing the fruit we would like. We're seeking to make Jesus known, share Jesus' love, but no one seems to respond or care. We're living in a day of small things. But here God is calling us to actually return in hope, a returning confidence in my word. Judge the results not by what you see, but by my promise and my word. Wherever we are, God calls us, return, keep coming back to me could be sin we need to repent of. It could be just returning to that love we had at first as we labour to serve Jesus, to continue to rejoice and rest in our Saviour, our friend. And the final call is to remember. Uh, Remember uh, who our God is and what he has done and that he is ready to restore. Some of you may be feeling discouraged by your experience of the Christian life right now. It's not quite what you imagined or hoped for. It doesn't measure up to what you seem to kind of see in Scripture. You're living in a day of small things. Uh, The call is to remember, remember God's promises to you. Some of you might be seeking to serve Jesus, make him known, and you're discouraged. This doesn't seem to be any fruit. It feels like a day of small things. Again, God calls us to remember. Because all these promises that are made of Jerusalem in this this chapter, these chapters, those are promises that ultimately are fulfilled in us. Who is the one who is the apple of God's eye? Who is the one whom God has chosen? Well, it's you, if you trust him. Uh, God says that I am a wall of fire around you. I have come to dwell in you. God says, I will bless you and keep you and protect you. These promises are for us as God's people, you as God's people. God has come to dwell in you by his spirit. He is your God. He is going to work in you and grow you. He is going to fulfill his purposes. So as you serve, 
as you trust, as you seek to follow Jesus in a day of small things, will know that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not in vain. One day every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. On the final day there will be people from every tribe and language are praising Jesus together with us. So in the day of small things, brothers and sisters, giving yourself to God's will, God's purposes, is not a small thing. Because he's building his church and it is a big thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for these words, uh, these promises to your people so long ago. Yet while these visions and temple building that feel so far away, we thank you that these words speak to our hopes, our fears, our discouragements, our longings. We thank you that you today are speaking to us by your word. So help us to see you, help us to trust you, help us to return where we need. In our hearts, in our priorities, in our actions, Lord, would we return to you? But more than this, help us to see, help us to remember that you have already come to us. Help us to rest afresh in your grace. Help us to rest afresh in your promises. Strengthen our hands that we would give ourselves to your work. Assure us of your love that would continue to return to you. Help us to, to find our place uh, in service and in love. Help us to remain faithful, hopeful, and even joyful in the day of small things. And even as we labour here today, we cry, come Lord Jesus, bring the fullness of your promises, the fullness of your kingdom. Come soon, Lord Jesus. In your great name we pray. Amen.